It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Michael Myrie, the Chief Executive Officer of the Florida SBDC. Mike leads the statewide network of more than 45 offices and nearly 250 employees, providing strategic vision and oversight in the continued success of Florida's largest provider of hands-on business assistance for small and medium-sized businesses. Prior to his tenure with the Florida SBDC network, Mike held the position of Executive Director for the Office of Entrepreneurship and Small Business Development for the state of Minnesota, where he grew up. Mike has a business management degree from the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota, is happily married and lives in Pensacola, and has three children. Mike Myrie, welcome into the corner office. Well, thank you, Brand. It's great to be here. Ah, oh, gosh, great to have you here. And it's a early and bright uh, Friday, Thursday morning. I get my days mixed up. Uh, we're about 10 weeks into the pandemic. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have my days and my weeks uh, kind of hard to track. But uh, I know down in Florida, you're in a little bit of a different situation than we are up here in Connecticut. And of course, in your essential business uh, operations and supporting small business, I know that you've been in the office a bit. But you know, let's just start with how you're holding up during these uh, interesting pandemic times. Well, I think the word unprecedented uh, is an appropriate yeah. word to, to use. We are in an unprecedented times and and certainly uh, the social distancing, you know, mm. especially for a, a social butterfly like myself, <laughs> somebody who likes Presents to travel challenges. and travels yeah. uh, extensively. It's been uh, it's been a little hard to, to be yeah. grounded as long as we have. Yeah. Well, let's start up with you. And and uh, I know we were talking just before the podcast, how you probably haven't had someone interview you as extensively as this is today. And that's very exciting. Um, I'm really, really uh, excited to hear your story. Uh, we have, you know, about 10% of our, uh, of our uh, podcast gets in the past have been from a variety of different nonprofits and business support organizations like yours. And tell us a little bit about your early years, you know, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Well, certainly. And I, and I hope that my story is a, is an opportunity to inspire folks mm. uh, to uh, demonstrate that not everybody has to come from the perfect life or uh, family circumstances in order to achieve success uh, within their within their profession and life. Um, I think as in any good drama, you know, my early years and my family dynamic uh, had uh, you know unexpected twists and turns, mm. uh, ups and downs uh, that certainly make my my life story unique and interesting. Um, 
I'm almost 50. I was born in 1971. Um, I'm the uh, second of three children, meaning mm. that I'm the middle child. Right, right. Um, I have a sister who's two years older than myself and a brother that's two years younger. Okay. Uh, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Ah, uh, Midwestern you know, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Born and raised and spent the first 40 years of my life there in Minnesota and mm. look forward to spending my next 40 here in Florida. Mm. Um, you know, I grew up in the 1970s and and, and I think, you know, despite living in a trailer court, you know, I had no sense of the fact that, that, uh, you know, we were, we were a poor family. Mm. What did your parents do? Did, did dad, a uh, blue collar labor or yeah. uh, working schools? Well, my dad, my dad was actually uh, an East great man, uh, you know, worked uh, multiple jobs, blue collar mm-hmm. all the way, um, yeah. worked in, in water sanitation, worked for the County, um, and retired in the career of, uh, water sanitation for mm. a large, um, um, computer manufacturing company. Right. Um, my mother, her story is, is quite different. Uh, at the time, you know, she was, uh, uh unemployed, rather uneducated, um, and, uh, has actually struggled with, uh, alcoholism and, mm-hmm. and drug mm-hmm. addiction her entire life, mm. you know, rooted from her early years. Um, but, you know, from what I can remember, I had a, you know, fairly normal and it was a rambunctious young boy. You know, some of my, <laughs> my earliest memories of uh, me and my little brother, you know, going down to the local creek and capturing tadpoles and, and ice buckets and making them our pets, at least for a few days until they started to get ripe and right. you know, riding my brown huffy uh, bicycle, banana seat <laughs> bicycle around the neighborhood with friends. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I remember. That's what I, I take uh, out of my younger years. You mentioned your dad worked um, uh, for government, right? So he started with the county. Was that his uh, job initially yeah, before he went yeah. to private industry? He worked for uh, for the for the county uh, in, in right. St. Paul, Ramsey County, um, and uh, you know he uh, worked in water sanitation. Now he held multiple jobs uh, in order just to help support our family. Any lessons early on from him and things that he might have said or did or that you observed in those early years? Oh, you know, most certainly. Most certainly. Um, you know, my dad was a great man. Um, you know, my sister, my brother, uh, and myself, we didn't learn this until we were much older, that we actually all had different fathers. And mm. the man in which uh, deserves and has the title as my dad actually is the stepfather to all three of us. But he's actually provided and cared for us our entire lives. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I often say, you know, that after, after God, my, my, my father is my hero yeah, um, because awesome. my dad has, has taught me so many lessons. And one of those lessons is that you can love another, even if they're not your own. And, you, you know, know I really identify with that. I'm a stepfather myself and, um, you know, her, my, my daughter's father has not been involved much in her life, although in and out, I guess, over the years. But, you know, I also have two siblings of, of uh, genetic birth and, you know, there's no difference, absolutely no difference in terms of the love that I feel. There's none. That. And so, I have two, two lovely stepchildren that. now, ah, adult, awesome. uh, yeah. you know, stepchildren, and I love them like my own. And while their father go. is there and, and around and involved, you know, um, I think, you know, they're, they're very proud of the fact that they've got two fathers, two men, which they can look up to. So, yeah, that's awesome. Any other er early influencers, you know, maybe coaches, teachers, people that inspired you during your early years? Well, you know, uh, I think one of the uh, early struggles in in my life was the fact that, you know, my mother did struggle with Mm. drug addiction and my father worked, you know, two jobs just to support our family. So at the age of five, you know, I found myself uh, in my little brother at the time and, 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 uh, standing on the doorway of strangers mm. one day and being told by our parents that we were going to live with these strangers. See, we went into foster care, mm. um, 
because of my mom's, uh, my mom's addictions and my right. dad's inability to care for three children on his own, why she went through, uh, you know, what she went through at the time. Right. So me and my brother were split from my sister and, mm. you know, put in separate foster homes. Uh, but we were blessed. I mean, we were truly blessed for this year in which we were in foster care and lived with our foster parents, uh, Jim and Mary. They were great influences. They mm. really actually taught us a lot of family um you know, lessons, principles. Yeah. yeah, principles that that carried with me uh, throughout my life. Mm. You know, and then when we came back as a as a family unit, uh, I think I was at the age of six. You know, my brother was a couple of years younger than I, so he can't remember these these times. You know, my mom was was better at least for a few years, and uh, things were completely different for us. Uh, right. We moved into a home. Uh, it just seemed like uh, you know times were were really going to be mm. uh, great for us. Were you able to stay in the same school during that period, or did you move locations? Or? No, ironically, I lived, uh, well, we say in Minnesota, Kitty Corner, but most people say Caddy Corner to an elementary <laughs> school right. that I attended in kindergarten. But I got the unique opportunity. Me, me and my sister and my brother actually got the unique opportunity to attend uh, what was known back then as a magnet school. I would call oh. it a charter school today. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a segmented part of an elementary school that was a few miles away from us that actually had an emphasis on music and science. Nice. And, um, you know, it actually, I think it really was one of those first you know, turns in life that really offered me opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. So we attended this magnet cool. school, uh, you know, took a bus every day. And Were you a good student? Was I a good student? I attended school. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Brad, That's a good start. Actually, actually, I was uh, I was recently found a box of uh, old memories, and I came across my uh, second grade uh, report card. And my teacher's comments on the report card is, you know, Mike's a pleasure to have in class when he's not distracting other students. So I wouldn't right. consider myself, you know, from a uh, uh, an academic perspective, uh, ever as a great student. Uh, I think I found school to be the place where you could hone your social skills right. and social life. Yeah. But, awesome. uh, you know, one thing that it, that I was really good at and that I found a talent for early in life was was for music. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, attending this, uh, this magnet school allowed me to actually foster that. I played yeah. just about every instrument uh, except wow. for reed instruments in, uh, in an orchestra. Yeah. I ultimately settled at the uh, young age of uh, of third grade on the uh, cornet and trumpet. Wow. And in fifth and sixth grade, I got the opportunity to actually be in the Minnesota Junior Symphony Orchestra. Fantastic. That's yeah. great. And do you still practice today? Are you involved in any um, musical endeavors or is it more of a, a pastime? <laughs> it is a pastime. It's something that I actually stuck with uh, throughout all of high school. Nice. Even though I was sort of kind of the leather jacket, you know, bad boy, uh, <laughs> I still, uh, you know, had this passion and in talent and, mm. and I, I kept it until uh, until I did graduate from high school. I haven't picked up uh, the cornet or trumpet since then, though. Yeah. What about jobs? Uh, did you have to work your way through middle school, high school? Was that was that part of your uh, growing up? It certainly was. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and and I think I learned very early on uh, what it meant to have a, a strong work ethic. Uh, at the mm. age of fourteen, uh, I actually worked for a roofing company. Uh, you know, shoveling up. And uh, shingles, you know, uh, and, and tearing off roofs, uh, picking mm. up nails, uh, you know, 
it was one of those under the table kind of uh, jobs. I did that for, from the age of uh, 14 until about 16, until I rolled off a two story home and landed on a pile of shingles. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. How did you survive that fall? Any broken limbs or anything? No, no. I, you know, I took the uh, poor lady's gutter with me uh, (laughs) as I uh, went down. You broke broke your fall probably. Broke my fall, you know, thankfully I was, yeah, I was young. I was 16 and I was in great shape at the time. Oh goodness. I have a similar story. My father used to own a bunch of residential uh, rentals in our area. And at, at the age of 15, I was probably all of 90 pounds carrying 90 pound composition shingles up to right. the roofs, right? Yeah. You know, you probably did some of that oh, and yeah. discovered I had a hernia after about a, you know, a month or two of that. And boy, that was something else. But uh, yeah, those early experiences stick with you. Well, what, what about your spending money? Did you kind of, you know, set that aside for, you know, the future where you, did you have some specific vices you like to, to spend that money on? How did you, how did <laughs> My, you spend uh, your youth. <laughs> my uh, my social life uh, demanded all of the resources which I, I made. There no wasn't any tithing that. going on then, huh? No, no, no. There was there was not. No, no. no. I, I think uh, you know one of my high school legacies is graduating uh, with the title in, in our yearbook as uh, biggest party animal. Ah. I love it. I love it. You have to send me a picture of that, Mike. I'd love to see it. (laughs) So you went on to the University of Minnesota. Was it kind of a foregone conclusion that you'd go to college? Uh, You know, was that something? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think that that was one of the great epiphanies uh, that I had in my life that really Mm. was a a turning point for me about whether or not I was going to continue down this cycle in which my family, you know, was was a part of, you know, with respect to, you know, not attending college and and, and certainly alcoholism and, and drug addiction has run in my uh his, in my family's history the leather um, jacket says a lot Mike. oh yeah you know and, and, <laughs> and uh you know I, I i the mother of my daughter um actually was my high school sweetheart and she was the good girl i was the guy who yeah. pulled up in front of her house on my motorcycle and honked the horn now <laughs> i can tell you that i am not surprised that her father did not like me at the time and certainly i think i probably wouldn't <laughs> like that of my daughter <laughs> but really uh, i did not consider college each, yeah. even as an option until the moment in which i heard my daughter's heartbeat inside of her mother mm. I literally sat on the floor of the clinic at, at, at the time in, in St. Paul, and uh, and literally in that moment, I made the decision the next day to enroll in college. And I went to a, wow. a community college. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not one of those that went right off to the university and lived the traditional university life. Right, All of right. a sudden, I had this new life that I was going to have to care for, and I knew that I wanted her to have something better than I had, and that was going to be my responsibility to create. Yeah, um, yeah. So in that moment, I, I enrolled the next day in community college and pursued a two-year degree yep. in accounting, uh, which I achieved. Later then learned, you know what, I have a knack for this and mm. wanted to go on to uh, get my four-year degree, which meant that I had to earn another two-year associate's degree before I could do that. Of course, yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough. Um, you know, I can tell you that my first uh, quarter in, in college, I was on the dean's list, but mm. not the one that you want to be on. <laughs> So I had to really uh, learn to apply those work ethics to my uh, academics as well. Right. Um, right. But, you know, I was was working two jobs, um, you know, in order to uh, support my young family and and going to school at the same time. It took me several years to finally get my four-year degree. Mm. And I was lucky enough to get into a great college, uh, the Carlson School of Business and Management at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that's awesome. Really, it was my Harvard 
Um, and yeah. I was blessed in the fact that I got to go there. I picked up so many skill sets. So you got a um, business management degree. What, what was the first job you had coming out of college? So actually, while I was going to the University of Minnesota, I got a call one day. Um, it actually was a, about a year maybe nine months before my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. um, my mom was working for the Minnesota Office of Tourism at the time, the state of Minnesota, and uh, said, hey, there's an office here that is uh, seeking a student worker. Mm. Um, and I think that you'd be great for it. I'm going to give them your name. And I said, great. Sounds wonderful to me. <laughs> Get a job now. Sounds terrific. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> absolutely. And so I actually was uh, became a student worker of the uh, Small Business Assistance Office with oh, the right. Minnesota Department yeah. of Economic Opportunity. Yeah. I knew nothing about small business at the time. Wow. And, and that was a, similar to what you're doing today. That was a support organization for small businesses. Was it run as a nonprofit or a governmental it, agency? It's a government uh, okay. agency. It's an office right. within a larger department. Um, and and really, actually, you know, my story from that point on, from a professional perspective, is one from mailroom to boardroom. Mm. Um, I was that so is. blessed in the fact that uh, a great individual, Dr. Charles Schaefer, who was the director of that office at the time, hired me as a student worker. And he mentored me and carried me through every mm. level of my uh, early professional career. That's awesome. Um, and he was there at the Minnesota Small Business Assistance Office. He was, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was lucky enough to uh, to work with him, and uh, you know, and lucky to have him as my mentor. And uh, and you, you spent know, about seven seven or eight years there, and then you went on with uh, for about a decade at the Minnesota Small Business Development Center Network. Tell us about that. I did, job. yeah. How, was that more statewide? Whereas the first one was more local, or how did that? Um, yeah, the uh, Office of uh, Small Business Assistance actually was the umbrella office within the larger agency that had the uh, headquarters of the Minnesota uh, Small Business Development Center Network. Okay. Um, and the uh, the executive director of the uh, SBDC, the Minnesota SBDC at the time, um, actually recognized you know what I was pursuing and and asked me to come on board, and it was really my true first professional opportunity mm. to work under her. Um, as her second, um, nice. that is, I was essentially Associate. performing the chief operating officer yeah. and financial officer of wow. that, uh, that organization. At and the that time. was statewide. It was statewide. Yeah. 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 They had about uh, nine regional offices, about, uh, about a hundred employees at the time. Awesome. Um, yeah. And so it was really a great opportunity and another great woman that I, I, I got to work for, uh, Mary Kruger, who was leading the Minnesota SBDC at the time. Mm. Um, she was just so sharp and she taught me a lot of professional lessons, uh, that I still carry with myself today. Do you remember the first time you started managing people, Mike? Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I was a fairly young professional. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, in an organization where most of the workforce was actually on, you know, the later side of their careers, um, older sure. individuals right. and really taking direction from somebody that was sort of kind of a, you know, ac academically trained, not necessarily, um, through <laughs> leather jacket experience. transformed, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yes, when I started leading people, I, uh, I really thought it was just one of those, uh, you know, do as I say. Right, uh, right. Approaches, you know, obviously learning that leadership is is so much more than that. Um, yeah, yeah, great. What other kind of lessons did you learn in those early years? 
Oh, in those early years, um, I learned uh, I learned the really the true basics of uh, and foundations of of appropriate communication. Also, in that that innovation isn't something that's created by leadership, but rather from the workforce, the people that are actually performing. Um, you know what it is that uh, is essential to the to the organization. Mm. Um, I really discovered that uh, that that by through inquiry and, and, and asking people uh, what are their needs and wants and ideas mm. uh, that you really are, you know, and, and taking those and implementing, you know, right. those appropriately. Right. Yeah. Really can the, help the action the is important, right, Mike? Right. It is. Yeah, <laughs> you can't just listen to those suggestions. <laughs> right. No doubt. That's awesome. And then you transitioned to the director of office for entrepreneurship. So uh, still kind of stayed with small business development. How did that come about? Was that kind of a natural progression from the previous job? Well, uh, Governor Plenty, Minnesota Governor Plenty at the time mm-hmm. was uh, was governor. And uh, the uh, the executive director or commissioner of our department at the time really saw something in me that I had yet to see in myself, mm. um, you know, possibility in me uh, and wanted to do something different, something at a higher level with respect to small business development from the agency's perspective. Right. Uh, and um, and and basically asked me if I would be willing to be uh, the executive director of this newly created office. And ironically, the man who hired me and was my mentor for, you know, the first 12, 13 years of my career, Dr. Charles Schaefer would suddenly be working for me. Um, That was, (laughs) that offered uh, some of the, some, some very unique uh, challenges at the time. Mm. But they really saw in me that I had the uh, capability of leading this this new office. Um, How did Dr. Schaefer respond to that? You know, uh, and and ironically, the commissioner didn't want to share that with him. He wanted yeah. me to share it with them. So when I mm. called up Charles and uh, we discussed on that on that Saturday, I remember the conversation very vividly. Uh, Charles, uh, you know, very direct military background kind mm. of guy, uh, said to me, um, "Why not me?" And I had to answer that question, and I simply, uh, you know, shared in the fact that they were looking for somebody who had political savvy, mm. who could engage the legislature, you know, and represent the administration. And they did not see him as being that person. Wow. He said, "He said, okay, well, yeah. so long as you don't screw with my team, we're perfectly okay." <laughs> <laughs> and I had no reason. Military to. fashion, right? Yes, don't mess with absolutely. Me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, those are those transitions are difficult. Well, you know, you've talked a lot about mentors. You've had several of them through your life, um, but you know, we always have a few tormentors along the way as well. And and you don't need to mention any names, but I'm kind of curious of you know what kind of worst lessons have you learned, or maybe behavior that you saw early on that you said, "Boy, that's a really important lesson. I'm never going to do that." Yeah, you know, it's uh, you think that everybody is buying in or will buy into your ideas. Um, and that's simply just not the case from a leader's mm. perspective. And you got to come to recognize that, you know, you're going to have those that will always follow you, the early adopters, you know, they right. will join you on any idea because they just fully support, you know, what it is that uh, that you're trying to create the vision that you're, that you have. You'll have those that will lag behind those early adopters and supporters. So they sort of kind of sit on the fence and we'll see which way it goes before they jump on board. And you'll have those that simply will always push against you. Um, and those, you know, those individuals, I certainly have encountered, uh, you know, a few of those and still have a few of those to this day within my, uh, leadership team and structure. Um, but they can be a good thing for you. 
because they can challenge you to really rethink uh, whether or not you've given consideration to uh, all of the facts with respect to what you're trying to create. Um, So it's good to have them around as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Midwest boy, you know, leather jacket transforms to business executive, does a lot of work in uh, promoting small business entrepreneurship, has got some great political connections, all of a sudden packs up and moves to Florida. So tell us a little bit about how that developed. That was a, a total uh, surprise, I think, even to myself. And I really think that uh, God well, you mentioned had a hand your first in... forty years in Minnesota, and you want to spend your next forty in in Florida. So yeah, there's there's a transition there that's important. Well, I was at, I was at, at a bit of a crossroads in life, both personally and professionally. Mm. Personally, my daughter was about to go away uh, in the fall of uh, 2010 to uh, to college, you know, and I was a single sure. father. Now her mother, beautiful woman. You know, just simply we were young when we had our daughter and we grew apart, you know, but was always involved. But my daughter lived with me most of her, most of her life, okay. you know, so she truly was a, a daddy's girl, yeah. um, but she was going away to college, you know, and I was a, a single father. And, mm. uh, and so I was really looking, what is it that I want to do in the next chapter of my life? And professionally, Governor Plenty was leaving office and the new governor of Minnesota was not some, somebody I had some experience with when he was a U.S. senator. And not somebody that I wanted to work for, uh, even though his transition team had asked me to uh, consider uh, doing so. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I, I sort of kind of set my mind that you know it was time for me to go to the private sector and, and check things out. Um, ironically, I was sitting with uh, the predecessor of my current position uh, in Washington, D.C. We were on the board of directors for our national organization together. And he was talking about retirement and I was talking about mm. my next chapter in life. He encouraged me to actually come down and, and be his succession plan. So he was uh, in, in your retirement. previous role? He was in my previous role, yes. Yeah, for yeah. 25 years, he wow. was the CEO of the Florida SBDC. Yeah. Uh, mm. And bless his heart and his soul, he has passed since. Uh, mm. But uh, he encouraged me to come down and, and, and check out the opportunity. Yeah. And I did that. And Had um, you been to Florida before? Had you I, had not been to, I had not been to Florida before. You know, I really had. <laughs> not traveled extensively outside of the Midwest. Yeah. Well, you were very uh, so, Minnesota-based. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I, uh, my first, and my first reaction was not a positive one, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, he, uh, he encouraged me to come down. Um, I did. I went through the whole interview process. I met with a lot of the, uh, the directors, uh, the leadership team, et cetera, went through that particular process. And then he brought me to Pensacola where we're headquartered. Mm. And while I've heard of Pensacola, I'd never been there before. Right. Pens- now, this was the summer of 2010. Mm. So we were just coming out of that out of the, the, recession. Of the great yeah. recession. Yeah. Right. You know, and I rolled into Pensacola. I drove down here from Minnesota because I was going to spend a week down here and I really wanted to see the community. Well, my first reaction to the community was not a positive one. And mm. being a relatively urban guy, you know, growing up in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Pensacola is not an urban town. Right. Right, right. Not an urban city in any way. Yeah. Um, and it was a like a ghost town. Wow. Uh, and I was like, what's here for me? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It took me uh, it took me engaging the headquarters team, engaging uh, the university president and engaging some of the young professionals in the community that were really talking about progressive economic mm. uh, progress that was what that was happening behind the scenes in the community. They really said, OK, well, I could I could live here. Mm. Yeah. 
And, and what so a great I time to, to do it too, yeah. you know, I mean, really coming right after the recession and transitioning from a longstanding CEO, boy, um, looking back at that, I'm sure what an opportunity, right? That perhaps yeah, it was, certainly was. You had to peel yeah. back the onion a little bit perhaps, but. Uh, well, for 20 years in Minnesota, you know, I worked on this <laughs> career and had a lot of uh, name and brand equity, you know, and it was a complete risk. You know, and yeah, I really just prayed on yeah. it and put it into God's hands. And I'll tell you what, I've been blessed every day since. Mm, because awesome. six months later, after being here, I met the woman of my, uh, woman of my dreams, married mm. her two years later, you know, was blessed with uh, two more children, stepchildren. Oh, congratulations. You know, yeah. they're all adults now, you know, yeah. my daughter is uh, 28, uh, my stepdaughter is 26, and my stepson is 22. Wow, wow. They haven't blessed me with grandchildren yet. <laughs> That's the I next keep, step. I keep the pressure going. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the SBDC, um, you know, offices, terms of employees, and, you know, what's your overall mission? Yeah, so the Florida SBDC is actually the state's small business development agency, but the SBDC is part of a larger organization, a right. national organization, uh, funded through the U.S. Small Business Administration. Um, and so we're the, actually the SBDC. So you're SBDC truly a government agency then as well? Well, we're, we're yes, or we semi, are. quasi, but, quasi. Yeah, quasi. I would say mm -hmm. quasi. You know, we're funded through federal and state funding um, right. for the most part. Uh, you know, when the when the SBDC was created by Congress back in the mid 1970s, uh, the idea was to link institutions of higher education with mm. small business. Oh, okay. And so you'll see that most SBDCs exist at institutions of higher education. We're headquartered at the University of West Florida, one of the 12 state oh, universities okay. in Florida. Your office is right on campus. Uh, we actually are off campus, okay. but we do have uh, one of our local service centers on campus, one right. of our 45 offices across the state. And most of our SBDCs are on the campuses of the institutions in which they're a part of. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But our mission is is to to simply provide, you know, we 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 believe that we provide unimaginable possibilities for small businesses and mm. uh, prosperity and profitability by linking them to the intellectual capital that is generally unaffordable or unaccessible to most small businesses. Yeah. And yeah. so mo the majority of our workforce are professional business consultants who consult with our small and medium-sized businesses in Minnesota at no cost to them. You know, yeah, supported by yeah. taxpayer funds. The idea is by helping small businesses grow, and we know that small businesses in Florida provide almost uh, half of the uh, uh, the economic support uh, for our overall one point one trillion dollar economy in Florida. Wow. You know, we know wow. how vital they are to us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so by helping them grow, you know, and helping them uh, be more profitable, helping them, you know, adds to the tax base. Yeah. Obviously, and also adds uh, you know, jobs to the economy. And you've got about 40 offices, about 250 employees. Is that right? Yeah, we got 45 offices across 45. Florida yeah. um, and uh, uh, just about 200 and I think it's 253 employees currently. Yeah. Awesome. And here we are now in another crisis, right? 10 years later, you're back in it again. Um, how has it been during these last few weeks? I'm sure Florida's gotten hit just as so many other states and locations, service industry in particular, a lot of small business, you know, problems with PPP uh, execution. Um, I suppose your folks have been very busy. Yeah, they certainly have. You know, mm. uh, here's what I'll say about uh, businesses in Florida. I'm not. I'm certainly not going to say that that 
they haven't been adversely impacted by the coronavirus. But small businesses, especially in Florida, know and understand disasters and disasters well. That's right. But then just yeah. the last three and a half years, we have had five major hurricanes mm. strike Florida. We've had red tide, algae blooms, and all sorts of other disaster events that have, you know, impacted uh, you know the citizens and businesses in Florida. Um, so they're they're rather resilient to begin with. Right. So they certainly understand certainly times like this and how to crisis. weather times like this, <laughs> right, you know, right. but these are unprecedented times. Yes, I mean, yeah. obviously the uh, <clears throat> policies being enacted both at the federal and at the state level, you know, and mandatory shutdowns and, and stay at home orders, mm. you know, are, are impacting our small businesses who yeah. generally don't have the revenues and or cash to sustain such longevities of, of, uh, situations like this. So yes, we've been working to, uh, to administer. It's actually our job to, uh, to, to lead and facilitate the access to the federal and state resources that are available for small businesses in our state. Yeah. Uh, so we've been uh, helping our small businesses through the uh, challenges and, and application processes for the paycheck protection program that right. you mentioned, uh, the economic injury disaster loans through the U.S. Small Business yeah, Administration yep. mm-hmm. and other state and, and local programs. Yeah, great. Well, I'm sure the folks have been busy. How has your leadership style evolved? And we talked earlier about uh, some of the lessons learned as you grew up in Minnesota. How have those been applied? And, and, you know, what's different now with regards to managing this larger organization? Well, what I understood from leadership when I was in my younger 20s um, was, you know, that, that you made the decisions and people essentially executed your decisions. Uh, that's certainly not the case in leadership. Uh, <laughs> one thing I, I've uh, I've spent a lot of time on, you know, the Florida SBDC has been a turnaround success uh, mm. for us. Um, you know, historically, our performance overall was not great. Um, we were growing at a relatively flat level for ten years preceding uh, me joining the organization, mm. and it was really a culture. Um, but also a positioning um, issue for our organization. Um, Culturally, um, we had offices that were running in all sorts of different directions. So we were not unified Mm. as an organization. We did not clearly understand our vision and what our primary direction uh, should be. Uh, Mm. So really uh, creating an inclusive leadership style, flattening our organization, creating a leadership team rather than a leadership structure Mm. uh, was really my primary objective. And uh, we have focused a lot on one team, one mission. Um, And uh, and also uh, we have uh, done something I think that a lot of organizations probably have put their employees through, but have embraced it. Um, All of our employees go through the disc assessment. Great. Yeah. And we do that both individually and in teams and in, as an organization mm. uh, to learn about one another yeah, just as much helpful. as we learn about ourselves. Because I think communication is such an, you know, it's such an important, critical role in leadership. Um, and if you don't know how to communicate with your employees because of their style and how you need to adapt to that, um, you're just going to fail from the start. Uh, mm, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a heavy D. 
Yeah, you know? are you? Yeah, I'm an, yeah. I'm an ID, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very hurting to hear you say that because I use assessments. I've been working with DISC for over 15, 20 years. Did my first, gosh, overall personality coaching about 30 years ago and firmly believe in it. And, you know, I think you hit on it. It's not so much the descriptor of who we are, it's how we manage and use that information in terms of working effectively with others, right? And and really understanding each other's strengths and how to communicate and how to motivate. Uh, that's terrific. Yeah, how would you our, describe- On the doors of each of our employees here at our headquarters office, we have the uh, the assessments, how to communicate and how not to communicate hanging on the office doors of everybody. That's great. That's great. You Based know, on just their Just as own a profile. reminder- Based yeah, on their yeah. profile. Oh, that's awesome. I love and the that. company and the company we used as well. Um, and I think this is great. You know, people sometimes have difficulty understanding what does a DI, you know, SC um, right. mean? Right. Uh, well, the company we utilized actually uh, affiliates each of those with a particular type of bird. And by doing that, you know, a D is an eagle. Ah. You know, uh, then you have your, you have your eyes, which are parrots, uh, you have your, uh, your S's, <laughs> which are doves, and then right. you have your C's, which are owls. And if you just think ah. of the characteristics of That's those so birds, true. I love it that. really clearly. So it we does. had an entire yeah. conference just around yeah. that and everybody was wearing their badges <laughs> about who they are, you know, and that really, really tells you a lot about, about yourself and about your coworkers. That's awesome. That's awesome. What a great cultural uh, direction there. Um, you know, you've obviously ha have to hire people and let them go. And <clears throat> you've been building the organization, I'm sure, as you've been transforming it. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in, Mike? Coachability. Mm. You know what? And I take this lesson from my years of being a fast pitch softball coach for young ladies. <laughs> um, um, my daughter it. had played fast pitch softball from the age of eight until 18. Yeah. Um, and I coached, uh, that entire time and it was nearly a year round sport. Even in Minnesota, we played in inside, um, during the winter months and outside during the summer months. Mm. Um, but if you can learn that you can build a team better, uh, made up of people that are coachable rather than just on pure talent alone, yeah, you're going to be a stronger team. Absolutely. Uh, so I seek uh, people that, uh, that are coachable and not necessarily have the pedigree, the Harvard pedigree, while those right, are nice right. things to have, if they're not coachable, they're not going to fit well within our culture and within our organization. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're almost out of time, but I've got a couple of last questions for you. You know, there's a, a lot of speculation about what life and work is going to look like in a post-COVID world. What changes do you see ahead, particularly for your organization? For us, um, you know, we're certainly going to be challenged in how we deliver services um, mm. in a new virtual world. Uh, we pride ourselves on the fact that that we we can experience the human touch. And I'm one of those people, especially during times of disaster, uh, one of those leaders that actually roll up their sleeves and get out there in the field and help people get through, mm. the, you know, these particular challenging times. I know uh, you're my, a D, but you've got some strong eye characteristics too. Oh, you know what? I mean, my <laughs> spirit is filled when you can see the gratification, feel the gratification yeah. of people that we're helping. Yeah. In this distance way of doing business, you can't have that that yeah. human touch. That's right. Uh, I was talking with my executive team yesterday about you know bringing our headquarters team back to the office, back to the workplace. Mm. Um, and it's mostly for me because I like yeah. to have that human connectivity that you know on the screen can't provide you know, to you. Right, right, right. Yeah. So we're certainly going to be challenged and certainly our customers, you know, uh, sure. I love, I love small businesses. I really do. Entrepreneurs mm. are some of the best people um, because they, they understand what it means to be entrepreneurial and adaptable. 
Uh, and so they're going to have to change their business models. And I think that's, you know, what we're really going to work on with our, our small businesses in Florida, you know, yeah. is how do you shift to this new norm? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting times. Uh, innovation, I think, comes to mind. There's going to be a lot of different ways in which we'll have to do things. And I think those that succeed are going to be the ones that are willing to innovate, willing to evolve and uh, move to the new world. So, uh, yeah, times are going to be different. Well, lastly, Mike, um, you know, what career and life advice would you give someone who maybe has their eyes on the office of a, you know, a public uh, run organization or a quasi public as, as the uh, SBDC is? What, what, what would you tell someone maybe 10, 15 years behind you that, you know, loves public service as much as you do? Well, I'll tell you, you know, one of the the, the professional epiphanies I had is that uh, when I was working for the Minnesota SBDC, I was very comfortable being number two mm. because number one, that is, uh, you know, the CEO of the organization was always accountable for the decisions I chose to make. Mm. And I didn't recognize this, that I was very comfortable in being number two because number one meant that you had to be accountable. Right. You know, and uh, when I discovered when I discovered that and became present to that and what possibilities I could have for my life, if I was just comfortable in taking risk and being comfortable in failing mm. and taking accountability for those failures. So I'll tell you, you know what, if you uh, ever aspire to uh, being the chief executive uh, officer of your organization or of any organization, you have to be um, willing to fail and accept accountability for failure. Well, Mike Myrie, Chief Executive Officer of the Florida SBDC, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brant, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 